It's Sophia Franklin, and if you don't already know, listen up. My mini-series is live now each and every Monday, and the only person missing is you. We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's 8.54 p.m., September 14th, 2018, a rainy Friday night in Laredo, Texas. Francisco Hernandez, a state trooper for the Texas Department of Public Safety, is refueling his patrol unit at a Valero gas station when a woman rushes up to him. She's shirtless, wearing only a red bra and jeans, and in obvious distress. She speaks in a torrent of English and Spanish, which is captured on Hernandez's body cam. Just relax. If, if you're coming this way, yes, then... Yes, he has a gun, sir. Well, no, don't worry about it. You're, in, you're, in, you're safe right now. Yeah, but you're safe right now. Está bien, don't worry. The woman's name is Erica Pena. She explains that a man had just physically assaulted her at gunpoint, while they were parked in his truck nearby. So he was trying to grab you? He was trying to grab me Somehow, she'd managed to rip her shirt off and leap out of the truck. She's clearly in shock, but the trooper assures her she's safe and tries to calm her down. We're gonna do a police report and, and you have the description that muchacho thought, just relax though. Just relax, take deep breaths though, take deep breaths. Just take, take deep breaths though, okay? Pena goes on to say that she and the man had been driving around earlier that evening when she brought up the recent murders of two young women from Laredo. At the mention of the murders, she says, the man had become visibly uncomfortable. At this point, Trooper Hernandez calls the sheriff's office and relays Pena's story to investigators. Yeah, she, she's in shock, man. Like, yeah. She was trying to mention something about the other two girls, and that's when the guy got nervous. It was a call law enforcement had been waiting for for nearly two weeks. The murders Pena mentioned had residents of Laredo in a panic. The rumor was they were the work of a serial killer. Detectives arrived on the scene minutes later, but the suspect was long gone. By the end of the night, two more women would be dead. This is Gone South, an Odyssey original documentary podcast series. I'm Jed Lipinski. Season three, The Sign Cutter. Episode one, Needle in a Haystack. By the time Erica Pena was attacked at the Valero gas station, Laredo authorities were already on high alert. A killer had been on the loose for the past 11 days. It all started on the morning of September 3rd, when Laredo Police Department's emergency dispatch received a call from a rancher in a rural part of Webb County. Webb County 901. I, uh, I'm here driving by Jeffrey's Road, and 
I believe I found there is a dead body there. Hay un cuerpo. Sí. I'll go ahead and send somebody. Okay, thank you. So initially that day, that Monday, I believe it was, the report came into the patrol division of a deceased person on the side of the road. This is Fred Calderon, a Laredo native and the former supervisor of criminal investigations for the Webb County Sheriff's Office. The body had been found on Jeffrey's Road, a seldom-traveled dirt stretch surrounded by ranch land 18 miles north of downtown Laredo. Calderon was familiar with the area, and he assumed the death had been an accident. It could have been a hit and run based off of where it was. It could have been a border crosser, which is a very common occurrence in that part of the county. For at least half a century, Webb County, which is twice the size of Rhode Island, has been a popular crossing point for undocumented immigrants endeavoring to slip past Border Patrol. Jeffrey's Road is surrounded by vast, grassy terrain dotted with mesquite trees and clusters of live oaks and cacti. Border crossers do frequently cross through the ranch lands of Webb County trying to get to a destination or trying to circumvent the Border Patrol checkpoints. And a lot of those people don't make it through because different reasons. Drink water from a cattle trough and get sick or, you know, snake bites, dehydration, hypo or hyperthermia, both of them, depending on what time of year. The elements get to them and they don't make it through. But as a patrolman looked further into it, we knew that we weren't dealing with that. The woman appeared to be Hispanic and young, perhaps in her late 20s. When Calderon arrived at the scene, he observed gunshot wounds to her head and neck, as well as to her right wrist. He noticed she was clutching a yellow bag of peanut M&Ms. By her feet, he found a small plastic bag of cocaine, but he failed to find any form of ID. Checking the body and what she had on her, we weren't able to determine exactly who she was. She didn't have an ID on her. Calderon was puzzled. The fact that the woman was found in a desolate area suggested the killer had tried to hide the body. It was in a rural area, even though some people do live out there. In and of itself, that area might give people the impression that he was trying to to hide the body. But the body was also plainly visible, just a foot or two from the side of the road. It looked like an execution, right off the side of the road, with no attempt to hide anything. So Calderon called the district attorney. I received a call from the sheriff's department indicating that they had a murder that they were investigating of a female and that she was found to have been shot twice around the head area. This is Chilo Alanis, the district attorney for Webb and Zapata counties. As Calderon described the crime scene, Alanis was unnerved. The first thing that jumped out at me as a prosecutor was how she was found in plain view, on the side of a road. No effort to suppress or hide her or cover her. Uh, She was left to be found, uh, that she was executed on the spot, almost like if the person who did this wanted her to be found. By now, Calderon had been joined by a Texas Ranger named E.J. Salinas. The two had worked dozens of homicide cases together over the years. They took a closer look at the three 40 caliber shell casings beside the body. Both men recognized the brand. The brand of the casing we found was Federal Cartridge. And if you go to your academy or any other sporting goods, you'll see them there. They're not out of the ordinary. It's a common brand for any sporting goods store. The brand might have been common and available to the public, but it was also expensive. In his 20 years in law enforcement, 
Calderon had rarely, if ever, found federal brand ammunition at a homicide. When you see other shootings, you don't always see premium ammunition. And that is a brand of premium ammunition. Sometimes crooks use what they can get their hands on. But when they're going to buy it themselves, they're not always buying top-shelf expensive ammo. One reason Calderon recognized the brand was that he'd used it himself. So did many law enforcement agencies, which triggered a disturbing thought. When we saw the shell casings, uh, there was a conversation between the ranger and I that it could potentially be law enforcement. One of the officers had mentioned to me, Mr. DA, it may be a law enforcement. And my reaction was, I hope it's not. I hope it's not. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Laredo is a sprawling mid-sized border city on the banks of the Rio Grande. Its population is more than 95% Hispanic, making it among the least ethnically diverse cities in America. It's also pretty remote, 150 miles south of San Antonio. As such, it can feel like a world unto itself, neither American nor Mexican, but both at the same time. Many Americans may know Laredo only through the song Streets of Laredo, a folk ballad about a young cowboy dying of a gunshot wound. But over the past few decades, Laredo has played an increasingly vital role in American life. The passage of NAFTA in 1994 and the resulting surge in cross-border trade caused the city's population to nearly double. Today, more than $800 million worth of goods cross through Laredo every day. As more U.S. companies shift their production to Mexico, Economists say Laredo will soon be one of the most important ports in the world. Still, the city retains a small-town feel, and word travels fast. Before the media learned that a body had been discovered north of the city, the news reached local defense attorney Joey Tejas. Members of Tejas's family live on a 10-acre ranchette near the crime scene. He knows the area well. It's hard to get in and out of there without—there's border patrol all through their sheriff's office, all through that area. It, it's heavily traveled or trafficked. Within minutes of police discovering the body, Tejas knew all the details, including speculation that the killer was law enforcement. The area may have been remote and sparsely populated, but Tejas also knew that it was heavily patrolled. For Tejas, the idea that the killer was law enforcement didn't exactly narrow the list of suspects. I mean, you have in Laredo, I'd Good God, you probably have at least 2,000 federal agents that are based out of here, whether they work for Customs, Border Patrol, ATF, DEA, FBI. 
Many people we spoke with in Laredo linked the city's high law enforcement presence to its low violent crime rate compared to bigger cities like Dallas, Houston, or Austin. Laredo's a really safe place. You don't get your cars broken into here in Laredo. You don't get your house broken into here in Laredo. Uh, when I went away to college, UT, I think within two months, somebody broke my window and stole my car stereo. That never happened here in Laredo. Laredo's low crime rate is something public officials take pride in, District Attorney Alanese in particular. Accountability is big on the border. Uh, criminals know that. So I think that plays a big part in Laredo being one of the safest cities in, in the U.S. and keeping, you know, the crime as low as possible. Still, in a border city like Laredo, safety can be a relative term. When we look at Laredo, city officials and county officials, they have worked very hard to portray the city as a safe area. The reality is much different. This is Ildefonso Ortiz, a crime reporter in nearby McAllen, Texas, and co-creator of the blog Cartel Chronicles. He says Laredo city officials base their safety claims on the low rate of violent crimes like murder, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. But they tend to overlook other types of crimes that are prevalent in the city. They don't look at crimes that are relevant to the border. Kidnapping, extortion, drug trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, they don't count those crimes. They look at other crimes to say, look, in comparison to other cities, we're safe. To illustrate his point, Ortiz brought us one afternoon to what he said was a popular smuggling spot in a park two miles from downtown Laredo. He told us that we'd likely see some fishermen by the river. The funny part is that Regardless of the time, regardless of the weather, these people are always going to be out there fishing. And uh, these people are actually not fishermen. They are lookouts. They are relaying the position of Border Patrol. They're relaying when it's safe to cross. That is their whole purpose out there. Wow. Sure enough, we found three men with fishing poles standing on the riverbank. On the opposite bank, in Mexico, we spotted three more men hastily stuffing what looked like an inflatable raft into the trunk of a car. You notice how conveniently there's a fisherman here, and then yeah. just across from them there's other fishermen on the Mexican yeah. side. Are there? Car. Where? Guys loading in and out of the trunk. Where? Oh, over there. Oh, I mm -hmm. see. We greeted the fishermen before walking toward a tree-lined footpath littered with discarded clothing and empty water bottles. Suddenly, one of the fishermen jogged up behind us. Oh. There was like a bobcat or a lynx somewhere in there. Oh, yeah? Oh. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Oh, boy, okay. In case you didn't hear that, the fisherman said he'd seen a bobcat or a lynx on the footpath. Ortiz doubted that was true. Um, <laughs> so... That means they don't want us going over Yeah, there. yeah, that's okay. Back in the car, Ortiz told us we'd most likely just missed some kind of trafficking operation. People on the Mexican side, right there, packing up. Fishermen on the U.S. side, and they're warning us about a bobcat. So that tells me that whatever they cross is right there. Wow. So yeah, they're guarding their, their yeah. profits. Ortiz said the fishermen were most likely foot soldiers for the Cartel de Noreste, or Northeast Cartel, the super-violent organization that controls Nuevo Laredo, Laredo's sister city across the border. 
Today, this, the Cartel del Noreste, the CDN, remains one of the most sadistic cartels in all of Mexico, and in the city of Novo Laredo, they operate with complete impunity. Between 2005 and 2013, four Nuevo Laredo police chiefs were killed or disappeared, one just seven hours after he was sworn in. The state of Tamaulipas eventually disbanded Nuevo Laredo's police force altogether, leaving federal troops in charge. Occasionally, cartel activity spills across the border. A couple of weeks ago, there was a kidnapping in Laredo, Texas, where, you know, a team of four to five gunmen basically stormed the house, dragged this individual, they took him across the border. That individual has not been heard from again. The heavy law enforcement presence in Laredo is designed, in part, to prevent such violence from spreading into the United States. And so, the idea that an execution-style murder of the kind that routinely occurs across the border had been committed by a cop in their own backyard put investigators on edge. Back at the crime scene, Calderon, the lead investigator, spoke to the neighbors who'd called 911. They told him that after discovering the body, they'd seen something suspicious. They tell us that there was a vehicle there, very close to the body, and it did a U-turn and eventually drove away. The neighbors described the vehicle as a black pickup truck, and not long after it drove away, they said, it reappeared at the opposite end of the road. Given how visible the body was, the neighbors assumed the driver must have seen it. One of them followed the truck and managed to snap a photo of its license plate before it sped off again. They showed us a license plate and we were able to track it down to the ownership of that vehicle and it turns out it was owned by a local person here in Laredo who happened to be employed by a local law enforcement agency. Specifically, the Laredo Police Department. The sheriff's office immediately issued a bolo, or be on the lookout, for the officer's black 2014 Dodge Ram pickup. A half hour later, a patrol officer spotted the truck parked in a driveway inside a North Laredo subdivision. According to an incident report by the Department of Public Safety, Laredo police blocked off the adjacent streets, cleared the neighboring houses, and set up surveillance on the truck, fully prepared for an armed confrontation with one of their own officers. By now, Laredo news outlets were reporting that an unidentified woman's body had been found in Webb County. At around noon yesterday, the sheriff's department received a phone call from someone reporting a body in the 300 block of Jeffries Road. Upon arrival, authorities immediately blocked off the area searching for evidence. The media had yet to learn that the lead suspect was a Laredo cop, and investigators wanted to keep it that way. But a controversial local reporter would soon make sure the public knew the truth. Less than three hours after the body was discovered, investigators from the Webb County Sheriff's Office had surrounded the home of a local police officer in North Laredo. Not long after they arrived, the news was leaked to a well-known citizen journalist named Priscilla Villarreal. Um, at this time, the Sheriff Department and Texas Rangers are investigating a murder. This is Villarreal broadcasting on Facebook Live to her more than 200,000 followers. In the video, she's wearing a bedazzled baseball cap and sitting in her beat-up Dodge pickup, which she calls the Blue Demon. And at this moment, the police and other agencies are surrounding a home in Las Cuestas subdivision. This is on the north side of town in Laredo. It is being said that 
a male police officer is responsible for the murder of this female. As soon as more information is available, I will uh, have it available for you all. Aquí su servidora La Gordiloca reportándose. Buenas tardes. Villarreal is a 38-year-old high school dropout who works part-time for her godfather's wrecking company. But her presence on social media has made her a kind of celebrity. She lives life in the fast lane where there's crime, corruption, and chaos. A notorious journalist in the border town of Laredo is drawing an international audience because of her gritty style of reporting. I admire her because she tells it like it is. Villarreal is known to them as La Gordiloca, a nickname which practically translates to crazy fat lady. Laredo rappers even wrote a song about her. The first on the scene, La Gordiloca, La reportera de Laredo, La Gordiloca, haciendo pa su gente. La Gordiloca, as locals know her, is incredibly hard to reach. It took weeks of emails and phone calls before she finally called back and told me I could find her at Border Bingo a cavernous bingo hall off Interstate 35. Inside, she was impossible to miss. Her head is shaved and her body covered in tattoos, including a laughing avocado behind her right ear. She is not shy about the attention she's received for her reporting. I've been interviewed by so many reporters, it's not even funny. Yeah, I'm sure. Washington Post, New York Times. Times, I saw that uh, one in 2019. Congrats. Texas Monthly, four times. She started to tell me about the pushback she's faced for her aggressive reporting style. Oh, he hates the fuck out of me. Yeah. Despise me. Because I I exposed him. I I posted the video. Bingo! 9685. But Border Bingo was not an ideal interview setting. We later settled for the front yard of her house near downtown Laredo. A lot of people like what I do because I'm a very straightforward person. No sugarcoating shit, unedited, you know, raw news. But Lagori Loca said she's also driven by a desire to expose corruption and wrongdoing in her community. It's about exposing the truth and everything that's going on in our city so that people are aware of what's happening, you know, behind the scenes, because a lot of people don't know. Lagordi Loca's exposés rely on an extensive network of sources, most of whom message her through Facebook. Well, I have people. I have people who work, you know, as cops or my inside sources, as we all say. I'll tell you this much, you know, I, I know people in high places like I know people in low places, very low places. The only person that would know about something first before Priscilla would be a witness. That's Joey Tejas again, the criminal defense attorney. He's also a fan of La Loca. Her gain to notoriety was that she critiqued specifically the Laredo Police Department, and she got very famous for criticizing LPD and their heavy-handed tactics. Needless to say, Laredo PD was not excited about a charismatic guerrilla journalist slash watchdog patrolling its jurisdiction. I think they just wanted to find a way to arrest me. Eventually, they did. In December 2017, the LPD arrested Lagordi Loca after she published the name of a customs agent who'd committed suicide after coming under investigation. Lagordi Loca fought back. She hired Joey Tejas and argued they'd violated her First Amendment rights. And we won. And then Priscilla subsequently sued the LPD, the individual officers, the DA, in federal court. The case is currently before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. If it goes well for me, it goes well. If it doesn't, we go to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. 
So, when Villarreal heard that a Laredo police officer may have committed a murder in Webb County, she didn't hesitate to make the information public. Pretty soon, everyone in Laredo was talking about it. It's not clear if the officer in question saw Ligorti Loca's livestream, but not long after it aired, he called the Laredo Police Department to say he knew they were searching for him. Minutes later, with police surrounding his home, he walked out of his garage with his hands in the air. When he came out, he was greeted by, you know, a large number of his fellow officers there outside his house. Back at the station, Calderon was prepared for a hostile interview, but he found the officer cooperative and eager to tell his side of the story. He tells us that he's out there because he's looking to move out of Laredo and into the surrounding Webb County area, and that he was looking at properties. He told us that at no time had he noticed that there was a body there on the road. The officer admitted he'd seen some SUVs, roadwork signs, and people pointing, but he hadn't come any closer because the road was blocked. Calderon wasn't entirely convinced by his story, but the officer's wife soon provided an alibi, saying they'd been gambling in Eagle Pass, a border town north of Laredo, on the night of the murder. As Calderon often did in criminal cases, he then contacted the Border Intelligence Center, also known as the BIC, or BIC, a sprawling complex that houses intel analysts from the Border Patrol's Laredo sector. Calderon knew the sector had cameras near the area where the body was found, used to detect undocumented immigrants. So he asked agents at the BIC if any of the cameras placed the cop's truck near the scene before the murder. And we got a, a negative response from the BIC that that vehicle didn't have any traffic in that area. We ended up interviewing everybody involved, and we found no reason to charge him with anything. And with that, the officer was let go. By Tuesday, September 4th, more than 24 hours after the body was found, investigators had no viable leads, and they still didn't know who the victim was. But that afternoon, a staff member of the Webb County Jail called Captain Calderon. He had seen the autopsy photographs, and he recognized the woman as a former inmate named Melissa Ramirez. When Calderon looked at the booking photographs, he too saw the resemblance. He shared the fingerprints they had on file with the Webb County Medical Examiner. It turns out that it was Melissa Ramirez, and that she had a prior charge on her rap sheet for prostitution. So we knew we were dealing with a prostitute or a former prostitute. In addition, Ramirez's record revealed that she'd been addicted to crack and spent time on a gritty commercial strip called San Bernardo Avenue, a section of which is populated by sex workers and drug dealers. These discoveries changed the shape of the investigation. Those who had believed the killer was law enforcement now had to reckon with a brand new pool of potential suspects. Chilo Alaniz, who has served as Laredo's district attorney for over 14 years, understood the implications. You're talking about a sex worker. You don't know how many Johns, you know, or drug dealers she knows. It could be one of 100 people. So try solving that murder, somebody who lives on the streets. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. As the investigation progressed, the district attorney and others could not escape the thought that Melissa's killer had wanted her to be found, that he was taunting them, daring them to solve the case. That fear would dog investigators as they walked the streets of San Bernardo, peering into the darkest and most impoverished parts of the city. And it would soon be reinforced when other bodies began appearing at new crime scenes, scenes shocking in their similarity and brutality. 
The authorities' struggles to solve the case and understand the killer's motives would stoke the imaginations of Laredo citizens, who had grown accustomed to such violence occurring only on the south side of the border. It would force them to reconsider what they perceived to be the safety of their hometown. And finally, it would cause them to question whether its prominent law enforcement community, charged with protecting Laredo citizens, was instead putting them at risk. While in Laredo, we learned a term used by law enforcement, specifically Border Patrol. It's called sign cutting. It refers to the practice of tracking people. Some call it an art, identifying footprints, detecting disturbed brush, finding discarded items, reading the land like a written text. But in sign cutting, you don't read one sign after another. You don't follow the scent. You anticipate next moves. You jump ahead and meet the target face to face. This is Gone South, season three, The Sign Cutter. The victim was found this morning after a concerned citizen reported the discovery to the Webb County Sheriff's Office. This location is about a mile away from the scene of another homicide where another woman was found dead more than a week ago. This morning, authorities found a third body of another female. Now authorities are calling this case a series of murders made by a serial killer. I'm on Facebook just scrolling and I see people sharing that La Gordi Loca is live for a manhunt. That's a strip right there, he walked inside. He walked inside? Yeah. And I think half the block heard me scream. This is what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to stay right here. I'm going to go up top. I'm going to take top cover. 10-4? Yeah. yeah, let's go. Come out! State police! Turn around. Oh, hey, 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 hey! I really don't know what is going on. All I know is that shit just got real. If you have questions or information for the Gone South team, please email us at gonesouthpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Gone South is written and narrated by me, Jed Lipinski. Executive produced by Jed Lipinski, Tom Lipinski, and Ken Lee. Our story editor is Tom Lipinski. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Produced by Anna Worrell. Edited, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Original music by Marshall Chadbourne. Production support from Ian Mott, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Cherry. Special thanks to J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Gone South is an Odyssey original. a new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, Justin Alexander, an adventurer, was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive deep into our investigation and uncover the strange events surrounding Justin's disappearance in status untraced. Check out this sneak preview. And this last experience he had with Rawat, I didn't feel good about it. In fact, I felt it was dangerous. It sounds strange, but I just, in my mother's heart, something was not okay. I felt that he was a nefarious character. 
Status Untraced is available now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.